1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello everyone and welcome back to the latest Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Adam Jones and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice and Chris Beasley. As we look back, uh, a bit of a frustrating result for Everton at the weekend, a 3-2 loss to Arsenal, but there were a lot of positives to be made from that game. Of course, Andre Gomez came back another couple of goals for the two strikers as well. Uh, but we'll dive straight in. And Preno, I think frustrating was probably the, the key word for this. Yeah, it, it,
1: it, it was a weird one because it was disappointing in the fact that you know we defended the way we did and we ended up losing and getting no points. But equally, there were lots of things to be positive about. Um, it was a very positive performance um, for the last half an hour. You could argue, you know, so Emerson were the dominant force and were you know, so taking the game to Arsenal, which we haven't done very often at the Emirates. And uh, we created chances. So that's why it gets so frustrating because it could have been so much better. Uh, and we've got to look at it, I suppose. You know, look at the bigger picture. Carlo Ancelotti has been here five minutes. He's basically still getting to know the players that he's got at his disposal. Uh, he's still learning about them and he'll have learned plenty more at the weekend. And we're not going to see any dramatic changes, I think, until he gets players that he wants in the football club, you know, players that he's identified and players that he's targeted. But, you know, from... In, in the short term, yeah, it was decent. You know, we created opportunities. You know, we we should have done better, but we didn't. So I'm trying to be class half full here. It was, <laughs> it, it was. It, there were more positives than negatives. You know, all right. You know, it was a three-two defeat. It was frustrating. There was a great opportunity to make ground on the uh, the European chasing teams. We didn't, but there are still plenty of positives that we can look at. Mm-hmm. And let, let's be positive. This is a positive podcast. <laughs> so. So don't, be- don't you dare do say anything <laughs> negative now. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: well, 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 bees, we were yeah. we were sat down. We were hardly even settled. Yeah. Fifty seconds in, Everton take the lead. What's yeah. going through your mind? Um,
0: Eighty nine <laughs> minutes to cling on. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think because of those positives, I think that's why it is frustrating because. Carlo Ancelotti certainly didn't go in there with the mindset that oh Everton can't beat Arsenal Everton got a terrible record away to Arsenal or all these other teams um like the what was um the the big four and then became the big six or whatever but yeah but people turn around saying was that right that um, the 1-0 win on um at Man United on Roberto Martinez for season was the the last away win at a top, top six, six club, yeah. team mm-hmm. and that's woeful considering that David Moyes never managed it against what was the top four, um, as it were, for for over eleven years. So, so yeah, that's what was frustrating because there's not much to choose between Arsenal and Everton at the moment. Two mid-table teams with aspirations for more. And like you say, at times during that game, they they were the better side. They created so many good opportunities. So again, to come away with nothing from the result, that that's what makes it frustrating. Yes, the, the, I mean there were a lot of positives going forward and things that you could look at and say that's that's course for encouragement but yeah when it's so close for this chase for Europe and a lot of the teams around Everton actually picked up points at the weekend yeah that's what made it more
1: frustrating really My, It was was quite funny actually because I mean Kevin Ratcliffe had a little pop didn't he on social media Gary Neville over his overly negative commentary and analysis and Neville was quite spirited in his reply you know he basically said that look I want to be positive about Everton genuinely but I can't because every time you go to a top six side you bottle it basically and you look at it and you think, he's got a point. You know, the, is it 1994, the last time we won at Chelsea? Yeah. 1996, last time at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Liverpool, let's not go there with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Old Trafford, as the one you've just mentioned, actually so the only like, one we've yeah, won
0: that's there. One, that's one since 1992, exactly. I mean, isn't City it? was so, always yeah.
1: the team under Moyes that yeah. for some reason we seem to have a bit of a sign over, but mm-hmm. even that seems to have dwindled over the yeah. last five or six years. So, yeah, he's got a point. Uh, and that will only change in time under Ancelotti. And... He's certainly got a very bold sense of purpose, if you like. I mean, he's come in and he wants, what's the phrase he uses? Vertical balls, which I couldn't quite get my head around. I'm thinking, does he mean he wants us to lump it in the air? (laughs) And he doesn't. He means positive penetrating passes, forward passes. And to that end... Andre Griezmann's return is instrumental in that because everything he does is positive looking, and he'll want to you know bring in more players of that type, you know that will play the ball positively. And I think in time under Ancelotti, we will see a much brighter sense of purpose go into these uh, teams. What was it, Mister Moyes said about taking knives to gunfights? Yeah. And so we won't be doing that in future. <laughs> uh, but you've got to give the fella time, you know, to let those mm-hmm. you know ideas and those tactics bed in. So yeah, in isolation, that statistic looks pretty damning to be honest, but you know. Hopefully, in time under Carlo Ancelotti, that will change and improve. You know, there's opportunity for to improve in the short term, isn't there? With you know, a trip to Stanford Bridge looming, not too far away. So we'll see, we'll see. Well, reading Michael Ball's column yesterday, he seemed to believe that
2: the only way to change this is to finally get that one under under your belt, and then yeah.
1: hopefully, then uh, the rest will tumble. Do you, do you tend to agree mm, with that? May- maybe. I mean, it's got to be a mentality change throughout the club. Because, you know, we have had that one, you know, when Brian Oviedo leathered it in, you know, saw sort of down the scoreboard end at Old Trafford. But that didn't suddenly, you know, translate then into regular victories at top six clubs. It means like a sea change in the entire football club. And we spoke about this last week, talked about the sense of fatalism, the sense to envelop Evertonians. And that's been inbred because you know we've been knocked on the head so many times over the last 20 odd years just when things start to look like they're moving in the right direction we suffer a setback and so you can understand why there seems to be a you know a sense of fatalism it's even become a catchphrase hasn't it Everton? that (laughs) you know we need to get away from that we need to start being positive all the time and thinking well no um you know so we need to be optimistic and I don't want to bring him into it, but, you know, it's what Jurgen Klopp did at Liverpool, you know, when he turned doubters into believers. You know, he basically had an entire stadium there full of people that doubted what they were seeing. And he wanted to change that mentality. He changed it on the terraces. He changed it amongst the playing staff. And it's what Carlo Ancelotti has to do at Goodison Park now. And, you know, he's trying to do it with the players, uh, with his, you know, vertical balls and you know, playing the ball more positively. But we've also got to do it with the support base, you know, try and create this mentality whereby let's go to these places with an optimistic sense of, you know, we could get something rather than, as you just said, oh my God, 89 minutes to defend <laughs> now. So yeah, it's, it's something that the entire football club has mm. to embrace and that takes time, unfortunately.
2: Well, I mean, looking at it is in a pos- isn't a, a most positive way. You can look at those last 30 minutes of, yeah, at totally. the weekend and you can think to yourself, I can't really remember the last time Everton have gone to one of the top six teams and played them off the park as well as that. So, bees, how much do you think, ever, especially going into games now against Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, yeah. how much do you think Everton need to take into those games? You know, yeah,
0: um, that it shows that they they can do it, and they There's certainly uh, more than a match for these teams. We saw obviously Chelsea coming up to Goodison for big dunks first game there. They I mean turned them round. Obviously, Manchester United were beating four nil at Goodison. So you know, on the day. They can beat these type of teams. And I think that's, again, that going back to why that's it's frustrating that they're not getting the results that they should be getting. Going back to Dave's point there about the negativity, I don't see how the players can actually suffer from that. You understand that the weather-beaten fans who nevertheless turn up are really encouraging all the time. They're the ones who have suffered over the years, but it's, it's different generations of players. It's not the same players who have always suffered these results. And like I said before, Carlo Ancelotti certainly won't, have an inferiority complex, so I just wonder why the players this keeps happening to them. We saw it obviously infamously with the FA Cup game at, at Anfield that the weight of expectation, the burden of history that you know the fans are feeling because they haven't won at Anfield for a long time, and ditto Arsenal be it the Emirates or or Highbury. That the players shouldn't be suffering from that, so I just wonder where what their problem is in that respect. Because okay, some of them have been there a bit longer than others, but they shouldn't be weighed down from that. But yeah, with the the way that they're, they're playing, there's no reason why they, they can't get points out of that. And again, that's that's why it was frustrating for me.
2: Mm. I think two cr- players that are becoming increasingly more and more important, especially since Ancelotti took over, is Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. They were the two men on the score sheet again. It was a bit of a game yeah. of two halves for them too. I thought I thought they were pr- pretty clinical in the first half. Calvert-Lewin especially scored in, uh, a chance that he had yeah. no right to score from that position really. And then in the second half, we saw a few more missed chances do you think that's maybe the the thing that's going to come with having young strikers up up front? Uh, you know, is it is it kind of a side effect of that of their learning process?
1: Yeah, we we need to be patient with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I mean, I've been a big advocate of the qualities that he has. I mean, that run he made down the inside left channel midway through the first half. You know, you know showed sprinters like qualities. He holds the ball up well. We've said many times finishing's not a strong point, which sounds like a bit of a negative for a centre-forward, but it's improving. Um, I did actually, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, in the second half during Saturday, when he side-footed that one narrowly wide from, you know, so a decent move. I actually said that's the difference between him and Aubameyang. But we're talking about a fellow who topped the Premier League goal-scoring charts last season, Aubameyang, a guy that's like been one of Europe's pre-eminent strikers for several seasons. So maybe a bit harsh there. It's just the frustration of, you know, sort of the, the moment, you know, sort of capturing you there. Uh, the goal he did score was superb. You know, he sort of took it so well. Uh, at such you know, an early part of the game. And it'll come, I mean, we've said many, many times in here about, you know, how he reminds so many people of Graham Sharp in uh, his stature and the way he holds the ball up and, you know, his aerial abilities. And Sharp, he was a real late developer. You know, he was about 23, I think, where he finally broke through into the first team. And he was more a scorer of spectacular goals initially uh, and then eventually became a great goal scorer as well rather than a scorer of great goals. And it, it did take time. And, you know, the, the coaches at the football club at the time identified the quality and the potential he had stuck with him and were then rewarded by a man who became the second highest goal scorer in the club's history. Um, so, obviously, Calvert-Lewin, they've identified potential, they're sticking with him. And we've just got to be at that word I used earlier, patience again. Uh, because they're going to be frustrating moments like that one in the second half where you think, oh, just get a firmer touch on that and it's a goal. But the the very, very top strikers do that. Um, Let's face it, his goals return this season has been excellent, you know, compared to what we've seen in previous years. Mm -hmm. So we can't knock him and Richarlison seem to be having this like personal duel, don't they, as to who's going to finish top scorer? You know, so we love everything Richarlison does and again, tend to lose sight of the fact that he's only 22, is he 23 Mm -hmm. now? So again, still a very young striker. So, they're two youngsters who are only going to improve, you know, as their career progresses. So yeah, we should be showing, you know, patience with them. We should be supporting them and just, you know, willing them to make those necessary improvements to deliver, you know, what what we're going to see. And let's face it, given the way the financial fair play situation is with the club at the moment, we can't really be going out and spending 70 and 80 million quid on the finished article, which is what a top striker costs you nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, by all means, allow those two players to develop and bring in other players around them that can support them Mm. because they're shouldering the goal-scoring burden on their own at the moment. Well, that's
2: it I was about to say. There's no doubting that they're in fantastic form under Ancelotti. Of the 16 goals that Everton have scored in the league, 11 of them have come from Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. Mm. So my question is, are Everton a bit too reliant on them?
0: (laughs) No, I I don't think we should be... um... Com- complaining in that respect. Um, so it's nice for all areas to chip in. But I think the biggest thing about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as, as Dave was alluding to how much it costs to bring somebody else in, was he's actually stopped that conversation now. Everyone yeah. was saying, ever since the moment Romelu Lukaku left the club, and replaced Lukaku, replaced Lukaku, Everton haven't replaced Lukaku, was then the next thing that they were saying. People aren't saying that anymore. They're looking at other areas of the pitch to improve in the summer, be it on, like, on the wings or midfield or in defence, be, be it right back, centre back, whatever. They're not saying that a centre forward is the top priority anymore because they've, they've got um, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. And I think a lot of credit has to go to Duncan Ferguson, really, because although Marco Silva was a man who wanted to play 4-3-3, you inevitably ended up playing 4-2-3-1. The, the, the difference would be you'd only... Play one of those typically in the centre forward role, it'd be one or the other. it usually be Richardson out wide, wouldn't it? With Calvert living down the middle, sometimes Rashalison would play centre forward. So, for for Dunk to go old school, as it were, and restore an excuse, quite a simple tactic go 4 4 two, 2, of them up front. I mean, deserves a lot of credit for that because he see it worked under Duncan Ferguson, Carl Ancelotti's continued with it. He's not always played with that system himself. I mean, he has played 4 4 2 in the past, but I think he also used the Christmas tree a lot, a lot of the time, um, the four, three, two, one. So yeah, he's obviously seen that that's the best way to deploy them. And yeah, it's, it's like I said, Yuri Mien has chipped in with a couple of goals of late. And yeah, the, um, Perhaps the, the area where we'd, we'd like to be seeing more is obviously from the midfield because Gilfie Sigurdsson was joint top scorer with Richarlison last season. That's, that's kind of um, tailed off. So, yeah, that would be the area you'd like to see more. But I think we should just celebrate the fact that we've got two strikers out er- at Everton who are both scoring mm. goals.
1: That, that's been the biggest disappointment for me this season. And, you know, I'm speaking as an avowed gilfie Sigurdsson supporter. But for a guy capable of scoring the variety of goals that he scored last season, to just dry up totally... And it's not like he's being unfortunate, like you know he's seeing goalkeepers making great saves or balls pinging back off the woodwork. He just doesn't seem to be getting in the positions anymore. And I know he's been playing as you know a, a central midfielder at times, but that still shouldn't prevent you. For, certainly, with a guy with his you know ability to shoot from distance, getting into positions to you know at least get shots off on targets. Yeah. I don't quite know what's gone wrong there. Um, you know, is he finding the change of role uh, too difficult to adjust to? We should be seeing more from him. You know, he's. he's capable of much, much more. Mm-hmm. And uh the fact that he isn't means that we're having to rely on Dominic Calvert lewin and Richarlison. I mean Bernard even I know he, he got one recently but he's now he's yeah. now
2: our second top scorer yeah. this season in the league with three. Really? Oh, 3 that goals. says it all doesn't it yeah. that,
1: that's incredible. Um you know it's just relying so heavily on you know two individuals and you can't do that. You've got to try and spread the goal scoring burden. Uh you know you need your, your defenders to pop up with the handful. You know you can't rely on defenders but you know certainly Yeri Mina. Three, maybe four a season. Um, fullbacks, even you know. So Seamus mm. Coleman used to score, you know, so yeah. three or four a season. But you know, I know he's been injured a lot. sadibi's not really looked like scoring a goal. As he was the one he dinked over the goalkeeper that mm. someone pinched off him on the line. But um, you know, we, we don't see many from the other full-backs. Midfields like dried up almost totally. So yeah, it, it's placing so much emphasis on the top two, mm. and other players are going to start showing more responsibility for you know grabbing goals. Well, it was Sigurdsson and
2: who were. Playing as de facto the wingers, really yeah. in 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 the system at the weekend, and I got a fair a fair amount of abuse for uh, my player rating for Gilfie Sigurdsson because I thought he had a pretty good first yeah, yeah. half. What, what, Played,
1: what did you give it Worby By the way,
2: uh, I think I gave him a five. Oh, right, I, d- I don't think he did all all that much. Yeah. Per- personally, I think Sigurdsson contributed hugely to both the yeah. goals, so that's why I gave him a six. Yeah. Even though I admit his second half performance he certainly yeah. tailed off, yeah. but. I think though, those are the kind of areas that Everton need to be getting a few goal more goals in. You know, Bernard was on
1: the bench. Mm, and yeah. Obviously, Everton were missing Theo Walcott at the weekend. Did you maybe think that played a factor? Well, he would have been an ideal person to have played in a game like that. I said that prior to the match, it wasn't just with, you know, a sense of, you know, told yourself afterwards, just his ability, his pace on the counter. For it seemed that you expect to dominate possession and take the ball to, you know, having Richarlison's pace, having his pace if Maurice Keane to come on, you know, so later in the game, maybe, you know, the pace that he can use could have been, like, so vital, and obviously it was missing. Now, the reason I mentioned Iwobi is that I just sense there's, like, a, a, a growing sense of opinion amongst a number of fans that frustrated by him, disappointed by him, and, you know, I don't want to go overboard, you know, so I quite like the, the fellow, you know, he's got certain qualities. I think it's a bit harsh, some of the criticism, mm-hmm. but he didn't do a great deal at the weekend, you know, so it's... Uh, to allay any of that. You know, he, he linked play reasonably well. He moved the ball quickly. He moved the ball well. But he's like Sigurdsson. He can do a lot more. You know, that was a great opportunity he had, you know, in the inside right channel, yeah. where he almost like side it. You know, he mm-hmm. didn't seem to... He didn't have the convictions absolutely really, yeah. Uh, and he, he's got to do better than that. I mean, he scored as early doors against Wolves and that one in the, in the League Cup um, away at Lincoln. And we haven't really seen him threaten a goal since... And so, again, you know, he's guilty as charged. You know, he's got to start producing more in front of goal. You know, likewise, Gylfi Sigurdsson. Sigurdsson has similar other qualities to his game. And yeah, you're right, he did contribute, as he has done uh, in other games this season. And what did Mr. Roberto Martinez call them? Pre-assists, you know, <laughs> you know the pass that leads to the pass that leads <laughs> to the goal. And, you know, so he's done that a fair bit this season. But now, come on, the pair of them can do a lot better in front of goal. And we need to see more of that.
2: Well, I personally think Wobie suffers from a similar problem to Sigurdsson. As they, I think his best position is probably in a 4-5-1. In a Maybe he's the man in yeah, behind in behind the striker in a position that doesn't really exist under no. Carlo Ancelotti's system anymore, does it? No. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, I spoke to um, one of our colleagues from Football London at the
0: start of the season when Wobie was first signed. And he was saying that, you know, he's a very unselfish player, Um, um teammates liked him a lot, but he, he did, towards the end, he used to get a lot of stick from the Arsenal crowd. I don't know if it's a similar sort of dynamic that we yeah. sometimes say about Goodison and the homegrown players from, who come through at Everton. But yeah, it was a it, it was always, oh, a woe be this and a woe be that. Um, but he's got that great goal in the, the Europa League final, which proves to be one of his last acts at the club. Yeah, so he's obviously got it in his locker. Okay. But yeah, he said, certainly in regards to playing that, Number 10 role, yeah, it doesn't exist and it's the same for, for Gilfie Sigurdsson. So it is a case of, um, well, in Gilfie's case, um, either going centre-mid or even out wide like he did at the the weekend. But then you're going back to Sigurdsson's first season at the club out of position. I mean, is, is there a big decision to make over there in the summer? Possibly. But, um, even even Awobi's been at the club, but like obviously a less amount... Uh, a time, but um, different manager might have different ideas, so I, I think both of them are um, facing an uncertain future to a certain extent.
1: It's mm. so what we said earlier about um, Ancelotti needing his own players, you know, mm. so sort of on board, and at the moment he's having to put square pegs in round holes. You know, he's got a four four two system that doesn't ideally suit a lot of the players here at the football club, and so you know, him and Marcel Brands have you know, well, they talk every day, but you know, they'll, they'll have sat down and they will already have identified the kind of players they want. You know, sort of change that dynamic. I think, you know, Marcel actually said at the general meeting, didn't he have a wide right player? So we know the kind of player that they're looking for. Uh, Carlo Angelotti will have his own ideas as well. And so the period we've got between now and the end of the season, apart from trying to nail down a place in Europe, it's also a fact finding exercise for Carlo Angelotti just to learn about the players that he's got, what they're capable of doing. You will know, know an awful lot about these players. I mean, sometimes we underestimate, you know, so sort of how. Extensive managers' knowledge is about players around Europe, but sometimes players do take you by surprise. I'm thinking of when Martinez came on board, and uh, Leon Osman was the player that pleasantly surprised him. He knew about his qualities, but didn't know quite you know what he was capable of and what he could do. And you know he ended up playing regularly under Martinez because he underestimated what he had. Whether there are players at the club at the moment that uh, Carlos underestimating, I don't know. No one's actually saying, you know, look, I can do this, I can do that. You're going to have to stick with me. Morgan Schneidlin's arguably the only one that's actually doing that at the moment. But we've said many, many times that that's his in career in a nutshell. He'll do that for three or four months, then he'll go missing again. Uh, so don't be surprised if, you know, he suddenly has a little dip in form again. And I'm actually, you know, sort of taunting him to prove us wrong. <laughs> and keep it going for uh, some period of time. But no, it's fact-finding for Carlo. He's, he's basically got a, a lot of learning to do between now and the end of the season. And then it could be a really intriguing transfer window this summer. I know we're looking way ahead now, um, but it it could be quite exciting seeing the kind of players he brings in because the players that he wants, it will fit his system. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Well, if there's one
2: player he's going to learn a lot about over the next few weeks, it's Andre Gomez. After 112 days out injured, (laughs) he made his way back onto the pitch on the hour mark and instantly I thought he was Everton's man of the match he just he hardly looked like he'd missed a beat did he Chris?
0: No it was, it was just amazing like you say just the fact that he was on there just we were all there at Goodison that day that horrible day when he such a nasty injury um, and we basically all thought well that's him for the season won't be seeing him for a, for a long time so the fact that he's He's only actually missed one entire calendar month because that was that was that November in the end of February now. So December's new, sorry, two, two sorry, <laughs> but yeah, um, incredible that he's back it. And he, and he like you say, straight back in there, probing passes. Up to, speed, up to speed more. Obviously it's going to take him a while to get that sharpness back, but he, he looked pretty decent, pretty switched on. Like I said, I think Carlo said afterwards that he was, you know, he really improved Everton's display. The team improved with him on, with him on the pitch. It wasn't an, an act of charity. He actually improved the way they were playing and, got stuck in as well, picked up a a booking as well. Um, So he obviously wasn't afraid to, you know, throw himself about a bit and uh, getting back into the mix. So yeah, and encouraging all around, just got to hope that that gives Everton a a significant weapon in the weeks ahead because we wondered, will it take him quite a few weeks to sort of, get back to his best, but it was very encouraging.
1: I I was staggered at how good he was, to be honest. I mean, sat in this room last week and basically pleaded with Carlo not to play him because I'm such a big Andre Gomez fan. I didn't want to take the risk of him. Well, starting the game, we were talking about, you know, the intensity of the first hour of a Premier League fixture. And maybe that did go through the thinking, you know, the game gets a bit more stretched for the last half an hour, uh, which is when his range of passing will come to its fore. But he just found the pace of the game so quickly uh, and that penetrating passing that we've missed was there straight away. Mm-hmm. Quality of passing was good. You just worry a little bit sometimes. The players, when they come back from a, a lengthy injury prop, uh, lengthy injury absence, are carried through on adrenaline, and, uh, you know, so they can perform above a level yeah. because of the adrenaline flowing through, and then they have a little bit of a dip again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so clearly, the first couple of games, Andre Gomez is going to be fueled by neat adrenaline, uh, as he was at the weekend. But if he can produce performances like that, you know, He's got to start, yeah. really, against Manchester United now. You can't really, you know, sort of argue for him to be kept on the bench again because he just looked like he hadn't been away. So, you know, up fair play to him. Yeah. Did you make him man of the match? I did make him man of the match. Did you get flack for it? Uh, no. no, no <laughs> yeah. Absolutely you no flak for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, Carlo said he had a conversation with Gomez before the, the game and he said he was not so comfortable to start. Yeah, That was Gomez not comfortable to start a game. So next week, when presumably yeah. he will be much more comfortable to start... As Breno says, he's an absolute chewing, isn't he?
0: Yeah, but uh, de- definitely, definitely. If he, if he feels right, de- definitely. Need it. But I would all I would caution is uh, after what Dave just said there about the, the adrenaline and getting through, Remember, Seamus Coleman coming back from that awful double leg break. Performance. Yeah, he was running. It was he <laughs> yeah. this yeah. lung still yeah. run the length yeah. of the pitch in the final minute? It was almost yeah. like to show you. Yeah, I can still do it. I can still do it. And there was a bit of a tailing off a few mm-hmm. weeks later. It did sort of plateau a bit. So. Yeah, definitely. If, if if Andre's up for it, and uh, you definitely want to be starting with him, hopefully another week of training on, under his belt, and uh, he'll be raring to go.
2: Mm. I suppose it opens up the question again, though. Three of the players, three of the options to start next to him, all played against Arsenal. Tom Davis was the only one who didn't get off the bench. Uh, coming up against Man, I know we'll talk about this a bit in more detail later in the week, but at the minute against Manchester United, who do you think would be the ideal person to start
1: next to Gomez at, at the moment Morgan Schneidler um because you know he, he's playing well at the moment you know his his style complements uh, Andre Gomez as better um but not exactly blessed with options I mean Tom Davis we've not seen that much of him in recent weeks to be fair um, I just think Schneidler is performing so well at the moment you know, he's got to earn the right, you know, to to lose his place, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, if he has two or three bad games in succession, well, fair enough, yeah, you'll make that change. Um, It's a difficult one, um, you know, I could say because you're never quite sure of how long, you know, Morgan Schneiderlin's good spells are going to last, but we're having one at the moment. And, you know, he can act as that defensive shield, you know, really effectively. He plays that role with reasonable discipline, goes to ground a bit too much for our liking, and there's always a yellow card waiting to happen. But, you know, we... He does generally, you know, so hold his discipline quite well in that position. And when you've got Gomez there, that gives him a little bit more freedom to express himself. Whereas Tom is a little bit more like Andre Gomez, obviously not quite with the same qualities, but, you know, plays a slightly more offensive role. I know he's played a holding role for England on the 21s, but, you know, it's a different kettle of fish, I think, playing that role to play in the Premier League. So for the time being, Morgan Schneidlin, um, I can't really see anybody else. Guilfi Sigurdsson, you know, who has played central midfield, is not a central midfielder, full stop. So, you know, if he's going to get a place in the team, it needs to be out wide. You know, when he made his 40-odd million quid you know, signing and ended up playing left midfield, <laughs> OK, you know, he scored a few goals from that from that area. But, you know, that, that's the only way he's going to get into the team. That's what I'd think, but, you know, feel free to well, argue otherwise.
2: Schneidlin, of course, was the man replaced by Gomez this um, weekend and Delft. Uh, partner Gomez in central midfield until he was then replaced yeah. in, I think, the 82nd minute, something like that. So, Chris, do you think that maybe gives a little bit of a window into Ancelotti's thinking? Is he looking at Delphine Gomez?
0: Yeah, but I, I wonder, there's, a, there's another dynamic, dynamic that comes into it and in that he tends to be going with Bernard in, in the home game. So, Gylfi was out wide, as we were saying, at the weekend with Awobi and then finished off in the middle after all those substitutions. So, yeah, um, it, it might be different again against... Man United, hopefully he can mix it up. uh, Obviously, um, we had one um, enforced change um, at the weekend, but it was five changes, wasn't it, from Mm -hmm. the previous game? And I think it was four changes from the game before that. So he's not afraid to mix it up. I mean, he might do something totally different and and surprise us all. But yeah, I'd concur with Dave in regards to, I would imagine the two favourites to be in there would possibly be Gomez and Schneider. But at least it's good to have a bit of competition for places now because it's only a few weeks ago when we were talking about there were very little um, options in that in that centre of the park. Now you've got a few different things you can do to mix it up.
1: The, the interesting one is what he does with Moyes Keen, because you know we've only seen fleeting glimpses of him under Ancelotti. And I've, I've said before, I'm not massively. Uh, let's choose my words carefully here. Um, You're I, not convinced on it. No, minute. I'm not convinced. That's, thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's got raw pace. I, I struggle sometimes with his ability to hold the ball up. His, his finishing's a bit erratic. But Carlo Ancelotti wanted to sign him for Napoli, so we obviously saw something there. Um, but the way Calvert-Lewin's performing, the way Richarlison's performing, he's not getting the looking at the moment, and you can't really argue, you know, why he should be getting the looking ahead of those two. So, you know, is that somebody that we just allow to develop quietly in the background, you know, over the next, like, two or three months is he going to get frustrated at not getting any game time? Again, he's a kid. You know, he's still a young boy. He's like basically learning how to settle into a, a new country. So you know, we can't be too harsh. But I just wonder what Carlo's going to do with him within a couple of months. Whether we're going to see more opportunities for him, or whether he's just going to stick with the two who are performing for him at the moment.
2: I suppose another player who caused quite a bit of conversation at the weekend was Jibril Sidibe. Didn't have his his best game in an Everton shirt. It must be said. You know, he looked culpable for a couple of the goals, at least. Uh, you know, he's got Seamus Coleman running him close for that position. Uh, he, he's obviously only on loan as well. There's a decision to be made in the summer. Bees, what are your, yeah. what are your thoughts at the minute on Sadibi?
0: It probably changed a bit. We talked about this on Lem, didn't we, a couple, of week, a couple of weeks ago on the on the podcast, and we were saying it really was up in the air, this position, in that you could have... Coleman as first choice, right back next season. Could be Sadibi signed. Could be John Joshen, um Kenny coming come back. I don't know if he did he play at the weekend because he got beat 5 0. I think he did.
2: I so, think he did, yeah. But um, to, to Leipzig, to be fair, who yeah. were playing very well yeah. this
0: season. Three different options there. Um, um, possibly even bringing s- somebody else in. Um, I'd say as Sadibi is the lone player, is possibly the one in the weakest position here. And they might say, OK, you've done all right and he's done played well at times, even playing further up the field, um, right mid. He's been an able deputy there, but perhaps as the lone player, they might say, well, thanks, but no thanks. And um, time to move on. He might have other options himself. I know the likes of Milan have been linked and he certainly might be able to get a a decent option elsewhere. But I'd I'd be inclined to think that Sadibi was the one in the weakest position at the moment. I said it was all coming down that right flank at the weekend. Um, Like I say a couple of goals... um, could point point the finger at there. and um, so yeah, he's he's been he's been up and down, and he's been mostly you know he's been an encouraging loan spell, but they perhaps might decide to to look at, to look elsewhere, whether that's with Sheamus and and John Joe or possibly even another option.
1: Mm. You could argue that all three of those players you've you know suggested yeah. might not be the answer for next yeah. season. Sadeby and Coleman are almost like you know absolute opposites of each other. Sadeby quality delivery in the final third, but defensively, as he showed at the weekend, can be caught napping and caught dozing sometimes. Seamus is a bit more disciplined defensively, but that penetration that we used to see from him two or three years ago has never been quite there, you know, since his um since you know, the broken leg. And he's a player, he was like is he turned thirty now, you know, he's yeah. reaching, you know, So I wouldn't say the twilight of his career, but you know, he's not gonna quite have that same zest that he had early in his career. And then John Joe Kenny, I have to hold my hands on myself say, I've not really seen that much of him since he's been in Germany. Uh, but, you know, when Everton allowed him to go on loan, he was similar to Sidibe in that respect in that capable of delivering killer balls from the flanks, but defensively could be caught, you know, so napping a couple of times. So that suggests that, you know, that's also a position where we could be looking for, we want real quality. We want, you know, a Lucas Dean type signing who I know who's not had the, his greatest season compared to last season, but still being decent enough. Um, so, all three have got question marks against them, uh, which means that maybe, you know, so that's an area they'll be looking to bring somebody else in in the summer. Uh, of the three, if you're going to like push me into a corner at the moment, I'd, I'd still stick with Sadibi because, you know, I like the quality he's got going forward. Uh, but you need somebody in front of him who's going to be more defensively disciplined and we don't really have... A right midfielder at the moment, whoever's playing in that position tends to be a right forward, for want of a better phrase. Somebody whose qualities are better offensively than defensively. That's exposing him to a certain degree and he's getting caught you know, caught hours as he was at the weekend. Mm.
2: Do you think right back, You know, with all the work that Everton have got to do in the summer, do you think that right back is one of the priority positions to try and find a solution for?
1: Not priority, uh, but... Then again, what, it's priority. There's so many areas of the team now that, you know, you think you want to see improvements. Um, central defence. I mean, you know, Holgate's taken us all by surprise this season um, and, you know, really made a compelling argument, you know, to be first choice alongside Yeri Mina next season and beyond. But, you know, all good sides have four quality central defenders. Michael Keane seems to have, like, fallen down the pecking order a wee bit at the moment. So, you know, is there another... I would say, yes, we need more cover, more defensive quality in that area. Um, we've already said, you know, publicly that wide rice right is an area that they're looking at. And as well as Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison have done, you need more quality in the attacking areas. Maurice Keane, have said, I'm not entirely certain about, you know, so that potential being realised anytime soon. So again, you're looking for, you know, sort of more quality in that area. And then to complete the, uh, the the full set, you know, wide left, you know, Bernard has done great in home games, but maybe not consistently enough uh, to do it. So yeah, an awful lot of the, uh, you know, squad needs looking at. The one area that doesn't, and people are probably shouting me down in flames for it, Jordan Pickford. I'm happy with Jordan Pickford. You know, I know, I saw people criticising again. He only had three shots on target to face and never saved any of them. People seem to have a down on him at the moment and they're looking to, um, you know, sort of pick holes in it. whether that's because he features on delivery adverts or is spotted at darts, you know, sort of enjoying his downtime. I don't know. It's almost like people, you know, want him to just be living this monastic existence, focusing entirely on his football. And um, I, I think he's had a, a solid enough season. Okay, the mistake, you know, at home... Uh, Brighton was a palace, you know was was a howler. But he's not made many this season, and equally, he saved us an awful lot of points. You know, so with the quality of his of his saves, uh, he can improve. Of course, he can. But he's a young footballer, like Richardson, like Calvert-Lewin. who's improving all the time, and that's one area I don't think we need to be looking in. But you know, there are other fans out there that have different views, and we're all entitled right. to our views. It's
2: a bit of a divisive figure at the minute, Very isn't he, Bees?
1: So. But you spoke to Neville Southall
2: quite recently. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, um, see, we, we mentioned about. That and that uh, said the best way to, to deal with the critics was to make them like he was don't don't bite back against them, just show them with your own performances. Yeah, I thought it was strange that he was getting criticism over those goals. I've said a performance podcast, similar sort of stance to Dave. Yeah, we we can look at the, the howlers that he, he has done, but then he, he wasn't he wasn't to blame for anything on, on Sunday and it's almost like they're just looking for somebody to, to point the thing, finger of blame at. I don't <clears throat> think that I think it'd be very expensive to re- replace Jordan Pickford, and um, I think he, he, he's he's a great asset um, for the club. Um, it's 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 strange really because if see because with him being England number one, he's under so much
1: that that's the, sp- the spotlight. Him, yeah.
0: And then ultimately for England, I don't think he's he's, he's hardly put a foot wrong f- for England. Um, he, he, the howlers that he has made have been for Everton. Obviously, that's frustrating. From an Evertonian's point of view, but I think for for his country, he's he, he's always done well. But we talk about reshaping the squad for the summer, and a lot of the way how it's going to work is going to be who you can get off the box. And then we we've spoken about all these players who are on certain amounts of wages, big money, and that's going to affect what Everton can do. So. I think that you don't want to be looking at areas like that. You want, you want to be looking at the areas where there really is a a, a need to, to change things around them. But a lot of that will be shaped by who you can actually get off the box Cause we were talking about the, the right back area again. Um, those, those players are all going to be on, on, on a decent whack and it's easier said than done and just like get um, replacing them. But um think for for what he, um, he brings to the club, um, Jordan Pickford and um the money it costs to replace him, I think that's that's totally ridiculous, and I think it's pretty unfair the the, the stick that he he's been getting.
1: To be fair, you look at the Premier League, all goalkeepers you know so have wobbles. Look at last night; he's not had the performance like Fabianski's had this season. Mm-hmm. God, that was incredible. Allison, you know uh, the first goal, you know Allison is allegedly the greatest goalkeeper since Gordon Banks pulled on his <laughs> shirts. And yeah, you know, he, um, you know, he, he made one error and he made one great save. You know, late in the match, that you know, um, Liverpool the victory in the end. Jordan Pickford's done that, he's made mistakes and then he's made blinding saves straight afterwards. It's all about strength of character and he has got a strong mental strength and yeah, he needs to listen to Neville's advice there uh, and maybe not be quite so public, um, you know, when he's complaining about, you know, Gary Neville having a pop at him or other people having a pop at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, take those criticisms on board, but don't publicly, you know, so complain about them. Just mm-hmm. let your quality of your performances close the critics' mouths. I can't... Ever remember Neville really having a pop publicly about his critics? You know, he went and sat on a goalpost once when he had a bit of a problem. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, so generally, you know, so yeah. he didn't say too much. And he had a weekly column in the Echo for us at the time. And he used to use that to, uh, to support his teammates rather than have a go back at anybody else. So, yeah, you know, there's a man with incredible strength of character there. Listen to his advice and, you know, just let your goalkeeping do your talking. Uh, but, you know, that, that's not a problem for us at the moment. But, you know, plenty of other areas of the squad do need uh, a little bit of attention, which they will get. Uh, the Marcel Brands um, interview that was on uh, Sky earlier in the week I found quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm quite pleased that he got a bit of profile as well uh, because since he arrived in like a blaze of publicity, obviously we're aware of the, the job he does. And, you know, so and we know, you mm-hmm. know so how respected a figure he is here on Merseyside, but the greater, you know, so sort of football public, you know, at large, probably... Doesn't really, you know, so sort of know a great deal about, you know, so sort of what goes on. He Very rarely makes headlines. Very rarely, uh, quoted uh, in the national newspapers. So it's quite good to see the work that he's doing, getting a, a wider profile, uh, and Everton getting a wider profile, you know, which is what we want and why we need to be in the Europa League next mm-hmm. season. Certainly very interesting as ever. Thank you lads
2: for joining. Uh, we'll be back later in the week to preview what will no doubt be a very important match at Goodison Park, for Everton against. Manchester United Uh, don't forget you can rate review and subscribe to us on all of your podcast platforms and don't forget you can join us on Facebook as well on the Royal Blue podcast page Uh, thank you for listening and see you later in the week
1: you've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo